Hello and welcome to the 55th episode of Everyday Journal. With me tonight, as usual, is our co-host Bob Wang. Hello, hello. And as a special guest tonight, Daniel Götschel. Hello. And if you haven't been living under a rock uh, on the past weekend, you know that Daniel had like probably, I want to say, the biggest accomplishment of his magic life on the weekend, playing in GP Niagara Falls in the US and winning the entire event, actually. Daniel, how do you feel about that? It feels uh, very good, um, <laughs> obviously. It, it felt, uh, you know, I played actually... I know it's a generic thing whenever people always say, oh, I got really lucky. I've When I would say that, I'm like, well, I play a lot of games of Magic, and I usually don't feel like I got very lucky to win. But looking back, maybe it's just a blur. I'm like, there's so many stuff that's surreal. Like, you ponder, you shuffle into the right one of, and, you know, just stuff like that. But I guess there's a lot of other stuff going on in the game that leads to that state. Yeah, you know, people say, like, nobody ever wins anything big without, like, getting the necessary amount of luck like that's just the basic requirement like if you don't need the basic amount of luck that you need to win the tournament you're not gonna get anywhere but then on top of that like your place still comes in like everything your preparation everything it's just like a basic requirement which nobody always meets but when you do meet it then you can actually build on that and like units like take down the tournament um, yeah and i, I want to point out that not only did daniel win the event he did not drop a single match so he went 16 and 0 and as far as I can tell, this has been done, you know, it's been done before, but not that many times. So maybe like um, when the GPs were smaller, there were a couple of people who had gone like 14 and 0. Uh, since they got bigger, there's only like maybe like three or four other people who have gone like something like 16 and 0. So that's that's an even crazier accomplishment. And it's definitely never been done in Legacy. So that's crazy. So actually know. 17 and 0? Uh, well, so he had, uh, he had a buy. Um, and oh, he, scooped, he, he scooped his friend into top eight as well. So in matches played, he was effectively 16 and 0. Okay, but I would say insane value. Go undefeated and like scoop your friend into the top eight and take down the event, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my friend though, it was actually he was playing a pretty bad matchup for me. So I didn't actually like selflessly scoop him in. It was like, well, he is a friend of mine, but so if if I scoop him in, it when he's second and I'm first, so that way we wouldn't have to play until the top eight. He was playing. It was Edgar. It was the four color Strifo back uh, fading deck. And it, I didn't test matchup at all, but he's a really good player. Uh, the matchup seemed like not very good, so it's, if if we played, I, it's a good chance I would have lost. But yeah, still but good if, value. If you get like first and second place after Swiss, then you're guaranteed not to meet until the finals anyway, which probably would be like the best possible outcome. Yeah, that's that's why I scooped because I didn't want to like mess up the seating at all. I didn't want to play him in the quarters or the semis or anything. <laughs> so it actually wasn't as selfless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's why I scooped. He 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 explained it to me, and I was like, okay, yeah, I, I don't want to play until the finals, so I'll scoop. And also, the matchup was bad anyway. On top of that, so it's like, yeah, I scooped, you know, like, but he probably would have beaten me. So that way, you know, it sounds better. <laughs> LSV actually do that where he went like entirely undefeated at a cheapy. I know no, he that's... went he went sixteen and zero at a pro tour in the Swiss, but I don't think he won that pro tour. But it's still a record to this day. Yeah, and he, I remember that. It was He lost, I think, in the semifinals or the finals to uh, Gertsen, the guy who does coverage. So I, I should know his name. I'm sorry. Simon <laughs> Gertsen. So, yeah, exactly. That's the guy. I'm pretty sure he lost to him. That's the one. But yeah, you went... I think people should really point that out even more and because that, that's like an achievement for the ages, really. Yeah, I was when I was like a 12-0 and 13-0, I was like really trying to get the... Uh, the vanity, you know, of of that uh, undefeated 
So you, you don't even check the pairings, you sit just down on table. Yeah, it was actually it was really funny. Around like table around like round like ten or eleven, I just I turned off my phone completely. Um Andreas Peterson actually he, he sent me the night before he said I should just turn off my phone to not check social media, you know, to not get distracted by anything. And uh, I was just at sitting at table one like every round, it was kind of <laughs> it was definitely a feel good moment, you know. Like I don't need to check the pairings, I'm just at table one every round. Like I'm paired it's... against like did you you definitely like dream crush some people, right? Did like did did no. your opponent like round fourteen like want to draw and you're just like no or anything no. like well, that? Well, he just said so. You're locked for top eight uh, anyway, huh? I'm like yeah, yeah. But he he still made top eight. He, he, uh, and I was like, I didn't know him. Like it's not like you're dream crushing because if you beat them, somebody else is coming in. I mean, it's not. It's just that the person you're facing. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's so. And, yeah, but he no, still I, made top eight. So. I agree with you. Usually what I would do in that kind of spot is if I'm undefeated, I'm playing no matter what, you know, unless it's a friend, for example. Um, if say I'm like, you know, 12 and one or 13 and one, then I'll just like probably just take the draw. It's like I'll just take the, yeah. you know, round off. But that's basically how I feel about it. If I'm undefeated, if, I play. Otherwise, I'm fine with like a draw or whatever. Yeah. If it was like it, a 13 year old kid, I'd probably scoop. But sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> yeah. But I definitely agree with you uh, because like people in that situation they sometimes even feel entitled and there was like even like a certain pro in the past who even wrote an article about that and how like the person who didn't scoop to them became like this pariah of the pro community and and that was like so much shit because it's not like it's not like a free thing you do and you like scoop somebody in because there's the other person who could actually play his way into the top eight that way that you're like locking out by scooping so it's not like like a generally plus EV play for like humanity <laughs> or whatever yeah, people try to frame it. I think I actually might have helped Jerry me get in because he was eighth place and apparently I knocked a lot of other people out. So I don't know exactly how it broke down, but I might have helped. Uh, I might have helped yeah, him Jerry get in. Kept us updated on on Facebook and like he was like, okay, I'm twelve and two and I think I can draw and like that's so unheard of. Like getting into the top eight of a GP at twelve, two and one, but apparently, like how many people actually went to Niagara Falls? Like less than a thousand. Yeah, yeah, it was like nine sixty. Well, that's I guess given the circumstances, but overall it's still rather disappointing. Like Legacy I think GPs, I think it was yeah. a low turnout for a GP, but it was be because it was on Easter weekend and it was a place that it was really hard to get to. Like basically, you had to either fly to Toronto and drive, which is what all the international people did, or you could fly to like Buffalo, which is not cheap, and Niagara Falls is even more expensive than Buffalo. So it was a hard place to get to, and, and a lot of people had family obligations for Easter. Like, it's a really big holiday over here. I don't know about Germany. Uh, Easter, yeah, pretty much. Like, we had a four-day weekend, like two days of bank holiday and the weekend. So it's actually the longest weekend of the year. It's more than you get on Christmas. Like, people um, don't care about the religious part of it, but very much about the getting days off work. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. So, um, Daniel, before we go deeper into your run and everything that happened in at the GP this weekend, or the uh, M Magic Fest, I guess, um, tell us about yourself, like, where are you from, how old are you, like, what's your background, not only as a Magic player, but, like, in life? Um, so, I'm, right now I live in Toronto, and I'm 18. I was born in New York, but when I was about two or a toddler, I moved, and then um, when I was, like, 12, I, my mom lives in LA, so I moved for a few years. So, but then when I was 16, I moved back to Toronto. So I played, a, so I started playing like magic when I was in LA and, um, yeah. So what, what do you, what do you consider home? Like, would, would it be like Toronto, LA or, or New York? Well, I've definitely spent the most amount of time in Toronto, but I don't think if I was displaced, I would feel like very homesick particularly. And have you been, have you been traveling a lot like as a child or was it just a thing you, because you said you actually started playing magic in, on the West Coast in LA. 
Yeah, so I would, um, sometimes in the summer, I would go back to my dad. I wouldn't say like traveled a lot, but I guess, uh, you know, usually in the summer I would, would go somewhere sometimes. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. And would you say that uh, basically, no, actually, let me put it this way. When did you start playing then? Because you said you're 18. That's like, you sound very mature. But when you uh, when you started playing, that can't be that long ago, right? Um, yeah, I at started... least like for you, probably it was. But like me being 33 <laughs> now, I'm like, okay, what's 10 years? Come on. <laughs> so I started playing around right before Theros came out at the end of Return to Ravnica. I remember that was sort of like the new set. Like Theros was a new set, or like Ravnica was coming to a close. So that's when I started to play. But, so that's like late 2013, early 2014. I yeah, think. but I guess there was like a long amount of period where I was playing and I didn't really know what I was doing, if that makes sense. Like at first, uh, I, I had no idea how the game worked. I was trying to teach myself, actually. <laughs> and okay. like, I would just be like on tapped out and like making like bad mill deck lists. I didn't even know how the rules worked. It was kind of funny. And uh, <laughs> So how did you actually get into the game then? What, what, so, what was it that drew you into Magic? So when I, I when I went to middle school or high school, well, at first it was middle school. Um, there was a few kids <laughs> I saw playing it, and it looked really cool because I was kind of looking for a game. Well, it's because my mom she didn't really like video games very much, and I was sort of like a video game addict. I love like Dota two or Call of Duty or whatever. But uh, so when I was living, when I moved from my dad and I lived with her, I had to find stuff that was like uh, not video games to do, and I'm like, okay, this looks really cool. And so I just started playing it and learning it, and I like I like sci-fi and fantasy a lot. So I was like, "This looks really cool. I want to learn it." And then I kind of uh, learned it, and that's how I got into it. There's probably some marketing person at Wizards of the Coast like taking notes about everything. Okay, how did we get this guy into the game? And okay, so it's not a video game. Oh damn, we just released a new video game about magic. <laughs> uh, so so you you just like ended up like walking into a store and playing like a pre-release or like an FNM no, or. No. It was a long time before I went to my, well, it was probably at least half a year before I went to my first school. So I just walked up to those guys at school after like probably months or a few weeks of like, I don't know exactly because I was, but maybe I was like watching coverage or just like look, reading all the cards and like just, it was really entertaining for me to just read the cards when I was new and like brew decks without knowing the rules. And then I guess I kind of got like of those like battle box Theros decks that were like $20. I just showed up to school and I started playing with them and they were kind of helping me out, like learn the rules. They usually played EDH with each other. So they, they they knew the rules pretty well because um, they're, they're like, <laughs> so they helped me out. And I saw, I remember the first time I went to a store was, I don't know why I wanted to get into it competitively or I just saw like a cool, um tw like it said like turn three kill, turn 20. I didn't even really know what the formats were. Like they sounded really weird, modern legacy standard. Like I'm like, that's, <laughs> like what is that? It, it just sounded very weird. Uh, but it said like, in fact, kill turn three, like twenty dollar deck. Like, wow, sounds so good. And then I was like, sounds like fake news, you know. So I started like play testing <laughs> it, and I'm like, wow, I'm killing on turn three. Oh my god, this deck is broken. It's twenty dollars. So I ordered it. I'm like, nice. I got my broken deck. Time to go to the LGS. It was actually really funny. This was actually it was when fairies was unbanned because the first opponent I played was playing Bitter Blossom in Modern, and they were and they like destroyed me with Elstutter Sprite, and they were like, oh my god, this deck is so broken. So I. I don't know how they came to that conclusion against like a like a little kid was a infect, modified infect. But then I remember the second round they played against Jund, and I was like Tarmogoyf. I'm like, that's like the two hundred dollar card. Oh my god! Like that's like my uh, two years of pay for me at the point. <laughs> and then and then the third round I beat another kid who was playing like Mono Green Devotion. I'm like, nice, my I'm destroying this guy because he was playing like some like other meme deck too. 
And then anyway, so then I went back to school and like, okay, clearly that didn't work. I need to find a way, better approach. So I was looking at trying to look at winning deck lists and stuff. And I saw Slippery Boggles by Reed Duke when he came second in the world because it had to be cheap. Like my budget was like $10 or something. So I looked at his Boggles deck. I'm like, okay, if I don't play like... Um, if I don't play like Horizon Canopy, like Fetchlands, uh, Daybreak Coronet, Spirit Dancer, this deck's pretty cheap. So I play like my, I, the next deck I built was like my Boggles decks with like 14 basic lands. It was like really bad. And um, and then I brought that. Okay, I was kind of winning and people were like looking annoyed at me when I would cast Slippery Boggle and stuff. And then I think after that I built Burn and it was like 40 or $50. Like it was right when Eidolon came out when I built the deck. So it was actually like... I, I did play like pre-releases and stuff like I used to play like every pre-release but I was like had no idea what I was doing really so yeah I remember I was so burn was the first deck I actually started winning with and my goal was just a 3-1 I would like 2-2 all the time so I built like a burn deck it was like 40 or 50 dollars and then I was starting to 2-2 and then when treasure cruise came out um so well also at this point I was playing cockatrice a lot and I was like playing all the Jeskai decks that I was like wow all these cards are like 20 dollars each and that's like how much my deck is and stuff but um, when treasure <laughs> cruise came out I was like okay I can build like blue red delver for like 60 or 80 dollars so i built blue red delver and then i was like the deck was like so good that i was actually able to win with it and i won like my first like 50 dollars store credit and i could get like a snapcast mage or something for the blue red delver deck but then by the end of it i sort of like had won a lot of store credit so i could sort of um build more decks and i was sort of like winning a bit more and then i remember um around when splinter twin at my shop you could organize like cards to um so like you could sort like their uh, inventory for them and then they would give you some credit. And I did that until I got Splinter Twin. And then when I got Splinter Twin, somehow the I guess I was... The card? Uh, the whole deck. Oh, like the whole it was deck. sort of like a more budget. Like I didn't have Scalding Turns until like 2017 or 18 or something, but it like worked well enough. And then I guess when I was playing Twin, I started winning a lot more. Um, and I started, I forget exactly when I was playing Magic Online, but when I was playing Twin, I built like a really cheap version. Well, actually my first Magic Online deck was like Mono Green Stompy, but it was terrible. Then I tried and restore balance because it was like thirty, like ten tickets or something, <laughs> and then I just built like a one hundred ticket twin deck. And then playing the twin deck, I was actually able to like go infinite on Moto. But I, I, before that, I was playing a lot on Cockatrice. They actually had money tournaments on Cockatrice sometimes, but I never got the paycheck. I actually like won one, but it's like free, so I didn't really mind. And um, like yeah, you didn't no, have to pay entry. Sorry, I, I can totally relate to that. You know, listening to everything you say, it's just like I remember as like a student. You know, you're poor. You could never even dream of buying like a Tarmogoy if like a hundred dollars. Like, where are you gonna get that kind of cash? You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm like that's and so. Yeah, it's crazy. So like I, I just like you, I like grew up playing um, Magic Workstation and Cockatrice on like magic-league.com. That was like the first site. It was like a free site where you could play tournaments and like you could hypothetically win money and stuff. I never did, <laughs> but that just shows how much better you are. So it, it's kind of funny because it also sounds like the arena ground today. Like you're like slowly winning and like building your decks and making them better. And you just did that for like your whole life, basically. That's that's funny. Yeah, well, the whole time I was also playing EDH at my school, and, like, they were nice enough to let me proxy. Well, one of them was, like, kind of, some people would be like, oh, proxies are disgusting, like, you know, they're rich kids. <laughs> then they were like, yeah, whatever, we want to play. <laughs> but actually, it was fun, because all my friends, the problem was they were way better at building decks than me. So, like, either, so, like, I just couldn't build a deck on the same level. So they all agreed we would just get, like, those starter decks, so we could just play against each other on the same level. So that was when I was like, okay, this game is kind of fun when we're playing on the same level. And, yeah, also one of my friends, I carpooled with him, actually, and uh, so we talk about magic every day and he played affinity he's actually a really good player like when i was at school i was always impressed because he was like you know like the end boss of the school and he's just like naturally really good at it so we always play splinter twin versus affinity all the time so that's also why when i play against affinity i have so much reps against that deck because I, I spent uh, all that time playing that matchup but um 
Anyway, I remember, so, well, then getting, as I was getting more competitive, I never really thought I was, like, a good player. Like, I'd play Burn, but I wouldn't really expect to go better than, like, 3-3. Like, I didn't think of myself as a good player. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm like, I don't even know, you know, what's going on. I'm just playing, and it's fun for some reason. But then, when <laughs> That's I was playing... Really wholesome. <laughs> you know, there's people who get into the game, and they, like, they, they think they want to be the man. They want to crush people, and they get so angry when they lose. But, but if you're sitting there, and you're like, you know, I'm just having fun, and I play the stack, and I know I'm not, I might not be the best in the world. That's just, like, something I enjoy so much. When well, it was also... Are, like, full of themselves. Well, it was also because the way I knew the game was skill intense, because when I was new to the game, I'm like, okay, is this game about luck or skill? Well, I'm like, well, the same people always top eight these giant events obviously are like on a completely different level than me i don't even know what so I, I knew the game was skill intense or everybody was cheating but it seemed like people weren't really cheating so it seemed like it would be more skill but then what happened was when i was playing twin i was winning a lot of splinter twin mirrors i'm like okay if i'm winning these splinter twin mirrors a lot maybe i'm like sort of good at this how can i make that happen in other matchups so playing splinter twins what sort of got me more into magic and um, I was I was like starting to get more serious or not more serious, but I was like I can actually win. So I almost, I was like, what's going on that I'm winning? And um, actually, one of my first um, performances that was good. Also, I was going like infinite on Moto, sort of like not like infinite like in a good way, but I wasn't like losing money when I was playing Magic Online. So I was pretty proud of that. And then um, I actually there was a GP in like around t 2016. Um, it was the famous Steel Wall GP. If you haven't heard of it, I played Blue Tron basically, and I I nine out on day one with Steel Wall on my sideboard because I couldn't afford Spellskite, or was I don't your remember. First GP? Uh, that was my first GP. Yeah, but basically wow. what happened? So it was pretty nice, and I had no buys. And then after that, I was like, wow, maybe I could try and do it again. I ended up going. I started ten zero, but then I lost five in a row. But I actually don't think I like punted. Like round eleven, I got a game loss because of Mark's sleeves. Because I was like a kid, so my sleeves were like from ten years old. And then... <laughs> That's amazing. They were I was a pot, like they were even different. Some of them. <laughs> yeah, like Bill, uh, like that guy who was like also Tano, who like got a got a match win because you had Mark sleeves. That's just like so lucky. <laughs> yeah, and then I and then I played against Javier Dominguez, uh, I think, and he was on Junt, and our games were like super close. But I remember like he just killed me. Also, one funny thing about Blue Tron is when you play, you go like turn with Tron land, and your opponent like looks at you like they make like a huge sighing sound. They're like, ugh. and then you, I go. Island, and they're like they—they they just look so happy. It's like so such a nice experience. And I'm like, yeah, I know I'm playing the bad Tron, but Javier was the only guy I think who ever did not do that. Like that's how I guess I knew he was good. Like he was—he was not like it's gonna be easy now. But anyway, He's actually one of the nicest guys in the game. Like I've gotten yeah. him to know a little bit better during the last season of the Legacy Premier League. And he's such a nice guy, which is so funny because the first time I actually saw him, like in real life, was when he won the Legacy GP in Paris, where there was the incident where he accidentally drew like four cards of the brainstorm and was actually investigated later on. And first of all, like I was like, oh my god, the, the, a cheater won the Legacy GP. But then, like when you get to know him and like also the way that was resolved, you realize, oh wow, this I couldn't have been happier for anyone to win the Worlds a couple of years later. Agree, Javier's great. Yeah. yeah. And it was also funny, so after I played against those two John guys, uh, I played against Merfolk. It was actually Yama Killer, or Gal. Uh, he's, a, he's a grinder, and he actually he did really well at like a GP recently, too. And um, he was playing Merfolk, which, funnily enough, is the worst matchup for Blue Tron, because none of your cards just interact with them. I almost won a game, though. Um, but yeah, so then I, I kind of lost. Then I played against like Scapeshift, then I like Malta 5, and then I played against like Big Tron. Like, what am I supposed to do in that matchup? So I, I went 10 0 to 10 5, but I'm like, okay, maybe I can try and reproduce that again. Though I remember I actually, the end of day one was like super intense. Like, I was I, the last round I was playing against Red Green Valakit, which is like a really tough matchup because how do you beat Valakit when your deck's all counter spells? But like, I, 
the last two rounds, so I played against Sam Pardee. He was on the Bantel draw seat, which also, like, you can't really beat when you're playing Blue Tron, but just, like... <laughs> he, doesn't sound like you have many good matchups. <laughs> he, he got, like, mana screwed, sort of, and I slammed a Sundering Titan. And, like, game one, I, like, ripped an Oblivion Stone. So that's how I beat Sam Pardee. Like, like, game one, I had Academy Runes plus Oblivion Stone, which is, like, they're both one-ofs. So that somehow happened. And then, like, the, the and then against the Red-Green Valakid guy, I just, like, drew my one-off Sundering Titan both games. And then round 10 on the coverage, it was against Affinity guy. And, and anyway, so that was the first one. And then after that, um, I don't know, I just played Magic Online a lot, slowly uh, improving over the years, and, uh, getting slightly better and better, I guess. So what ended up actually drawing you into Legacy? Because right now we've heard a lot about, about the modern decks. And when you mentioned Blue Red Diver, I wasn't sure whether you built the, the Legacy Blue Red Diver or the modern Blue Red Diver. Well, for but... $60, I would guess modern. Oh, oh yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so what caught you interested in like, this format that's even more expensive than modern? Well, it was on Cockatrice, so when I was a kid, I'm like, wow, I can play $1,000 decks for free. I just want to do that, you know, on Cockatrice. <laughs> but then um, also there was a store in Los Angeles called Nightwear, and they actually had like a they have like 15 decks you can borrow for free. And I'm like, oh my god, I want to play those cards. Also, they had big staples tournaments. So like if you win, you get like Misty Rant, like Tarmogoyths or Dual Lands. So I was like, okay, I want to go to one of those. This would have probably been before the GP. This was probably like 2015-ish, like before. Um, I was still probably a lot worse, like the first Legacy ones. Um, I think the first deck I ever borrowed was Storm. Uh, not a good idea. I, I remember <laughs> feeling actually nauseous during the event. I, I goldfished it a lot on Cockatrice, which does not equal playing it. It was when I was playing Ill-Gotten Inheritance, but I actually remember I was feeling nauseous during the event, but I was like, man, I paid $20, I can't drop. So I was just like, it was a, it was a miserable experience. I think I went like 3-3 three, three or 2-4 though. Um, but I just like, yeah. So that was probably the first deck. Then the second deck i was trying to play was a lot of local players were saying oh yeah like rug rugs tempo or like rugs canadian thrash is like the best deck i tried it at goldfish on cockatrice i kept getting paired against s and taxes and since i was new to legacy i'm like wow how am i losing to this like unplayable deck i why am i casting one ones and like what's this stifle card do it sucks so i like that's why i guess for my whole life i just like that deck probably from my first experience um then i tried bug shardless a lot but uh i think i lost to, like merfolk and i'm like i don't know how to play this deck and I think Esper Blade was the first deck I had success with. I also tried Sneak and Show once, but it's when the new Salia was printed. It's actually kind of funny. The one that makes creatures enter tapped. M my opponent cast it against me. I'm like, wow, this deck must be unplayable now because of that card or something. Because <laughs> uh, it like negated my sneak attack. And, but then I picked up like Shaheen Sarani was playing Esper Blade. And I think I like, I was also watching a lot of coverage because I was just trying to watch a lot. I watched like tons of coverage when I was new. Like I, I tried to watch all the pro tours and all that kind of stuff. And I saw Shaheen Sorani's Esper Blade deck. I don't know why I thought it would be a good idea. This actually was a funny tournament. I think it's the first big win I had. I won like a dual land or something. But um, I actually, one funny moment is in the second game, I was playing against lands and I cast Telamine Performance. He has a Primeval Titan, but I have a Sensei's Divining Top. But So that was a fun experience. But I kind of like, I don't even know what I was doing. Like I somehow managed to squeak my way to the top eight. Then in the top eight in the first match, um, I had a bunch of warnings because with Sensei's Divining Top, I kept looking at four cards. It was by mistake. Like, I didn't even know what I was doing. So it definitely wasn't angle shooting. Like, I was just, like, <laughs> grabbing four cards by mistake. Um, and I got, we had, like, apparently, like, a two and a half hour game. So the judges were, like, really pissed off at me. I, I already had th three warnings. In that game, I got a game loss because I, like, looked at four cards too much. Although I was playing really dumb, like, my opponent had a Jace Friends Prodigy and I had a Caracas, and I was just, like, didn't even know it was legendary, but I was, like, intuitioning for Lingering Souls. It was just, like, really dumb. So I move on to the quarters, and it was actually really funny. Um, so I shuffle my deck, and I drop my deck while I'm shuffling it, and I actually got DQ'd for that. But 
the thing was in the top four, you just got a dual land, so it didn't really matter at that point. Like it was just like a trap versus a volcano. Why did you get DQ'd for dropping your deck on the floor? Because they said it was my fourth warning. Well, we were I was playing as Mono Red Stumpy, and also it was funny because I was new. I was like, man, I don't even care. I get DQ'd. I don't want to play against this Mono Red deck. Like it's really scary. <laughs> like I didn't even know what was going on. Like really in Legacy. But anyway, and I was too, like, tired. Like, it was, like, so, like, I'd played, like, eight or nine rounds with, like, this Sensei's Defining Top Intuition, like, Esper Lingering Souls deck. Like, I was just so exhausted. I'm, like, finally I'm free. So I didn't even argue it or anything. But also the judges, yeah, they were really mad because apparently my, like, game in the top eight was, like, two or three hours long. And it was just two matches, too. Like, I duoed. <laughs> well, because I had a game loss, I guess. So that was the first one. And then, anyway, I, I started getting a bit better because I was playing, like, those, trying to, like, get more dual lands. And I would win top eight them, like... I don't know, like, okay amount. One guy came up to me and he was kind of telling me, like, Magic Series, like, you should do this because of this, or you should approach because of that. So then I sort of leveled up a bit because of that. That's how I got into Legacy. And also, I played it a lot on Cockatrice, I suppose. But, like, I was, if I think back to how I was playing, I had no idea what I was doing. I don't even know what I was thinking when I was doing stuff. <laughs> so when would you say, actually, did you get to the point where you realized, or did you realize yet, that you are probably better than the average guy you would meet in, in a legacy GP. Where did you actually like feel competent and, and confident in your performance? Well, I was feeling really good when um when I was winning the Twin Mirrors. Not like in general, but just for the exact Twin Mirrors, I always felt like very confident. Like I, I didn't lose them very much. And I was just like feeling very confident. I guess um trying to think exactly. I, when I was going like infinite magic online, because I was like, well, my win rate just has to be like at least like reasonable so then i was like okay i'm like pretty good but it's like not like the, a level to like just win a gp but i'm at the level where i'm not losing money when i'm playing the game and i was just like satisfied with that i'm like i don't need to be much better than that i can just yeah. you know slowly improve from there did you ever like because to me it's interesting the way people come to the game and what their goals are uh did you try to like get on the pro tour or did you did you want to like prove yourself in like modern legacy or what was your main motivation? I guess entertainment, first of all, like to most of us. But did you eventually, like, because we never talked about standard, has that never been a thing for you? Well, no, I play a lot of standard now, but it was probably, but when I was new, well, first of all, my goal for a long time was just to 3-1 at FNM because of like $20 of credit. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> I'm like, that's like a month of a paycheck. Like I, my goal for a long time was the 3-1. And I would like 2-2 every week. And I'd be like 2-1. I remember like I'd be 2-1. I'm like, okay, like, we got to try it. It was just like impossible. It was like this impossible <laughs> mountain to climb. Um, then I never, then um, it was just sort of like, I wanted to just like win what I was playing. Like I didn't want to go to big tournaments. I just wanted like value. So I was like, I go to Staples tournaments. I just want like value. I try and like see the Mac V. I try and play the dailies and just get value. So I didn't really care because I just wanted value. Um, <laughs> I didn't really want the pro tour for a long time. Like I was just like, it was mostly value because I like, I didn't have like many decks and stuff. It was just like probably around last summer because I used to be like, oh, I don't really want to do for the pro tour. Like it seems like a lot of effort. I don't really like PPDQs, but they're bad value. So that's why I didn't really play them. Very much. <laughs> wow. I, I think I played like three or four in my life maybe, but that was just the last year. But then um, I think it was actually like last July, I topped, I topped four like a PTP, no, a PTQ. On, like it was never a goal to like enter the pro tour of mine until like last July when I made top four of a moto ptq that's when my elo got really high and i was like on magic online and i oh, was like hi. are we talking like 2016 for the constructed rating Whoa. and I then uh, 2000. 
it was it was just because I did well in two big events in a row, and they have like a big multiplier. So like I played like a mock prelim, and I went seven one, and then I top forty TQ, and I was also like on a winning streak in league. So it was just sort of that all added up. It, I, I've never hit that high again since then. Like but, once you hit like nineteen hundred, it gets really hard. Yeah, you basically just need to like hope you play premier events and randomly win. But basically, when I was so close to to top four in that PTQ, I was like, man, I, now I really want to get on the pro tour. Then I think in like August this year, I top, not, after that I was basically like, okay, I'm gonna try and play PTQs every as many as I can. Then I think in August I I top I top aided with standard PTQ and I had actually a really good performance. I like two owed almost every match in the Swiss. I think I two won like a couple. I lost one round that was really close. But then in top eight, actually it was it was uh, pretty um, brutal in the match it was for me it was like very so I, I was like very far ahead my opponent's like super dead on board i have 11 life and they're mono red aggro but they're like 10 lands and like two cards in hand then they go like kick fight with fire i'm at 11 life you go like kick fight with fire deal 10 damage do you bane fire you for one and it was like it was, it was like going from like i think i'm moving to the top four of this ptq to dead but then after that yeah it was just like now i really want to you know like to redeem myself for that oh also for my blue tron gp since i started 9-0 I was like, I want to redeem, like, quote-unquote, redeem that GP so, like, I can do well at another one to make up for doing poorly at the first one. But looking back, I'd, it was mostly just, like, trying to get value, trying to, like, it was mostly the last year. Like, I, since I was mostly, like, like 16 or 15 when I was playing, like, I wasn't really thinking that much. I was just, like, I like magic cards, so I didn't really have a coherent goal. <laughs> but then recently in the last year, I was like, well, I'd like to qualify for the Pro Tour um, because I think it would be fun, and, and I think I'm like getting better, so now I'm getting up at the level for that. So, so now that you did qualify for your first PT or or MC, if you will, uh, what are you, what are your goals for this upcoming MC in Barcelona that you're going to go to? Oh, I should actually say one more thing about getting into Legacy. Um, just just one more part of that story. I remember actually I used to play a lot of like Lantern at late 2016. I used to play a lot of Lantern Control and Magic Online, and um, at one point the the deck spiked from like 200 tickets to 600 tickets so i just sold the deck it was like working well for me i just sold the deck oh actually i have to add one more thing actually how i one time when i was winning a lot when amulet titan was a deck or bloom titan it was like just such a broken deck and i was playing that deck so i had like absurdly high win rate just because it was a broken deck that was obviously banned it was the summer bloom titan deck yeah yeah so in 2015 i was actually winning a lot of magic online with that deck that's sort of how i got a lot of stuff on magic online um like, I wasn't playing it super well, but the deck was just so broken. Like, you didn't need to play it that well to, to win that much. And um, so, yeah, so then when that deck spiked, I'm like, okay, sweet. Now I can build Legacy on Moto because I love playing whatever. So I built Miracles, I think, around December of that time. And then I started, like, I think the challenges just started rolling out early 2017. And then I started, like, playing those, and they were really fun because I like value. I'm like, wow, this is so, so great value. I don't have to even pay for a subway. I think ticket. that was, like, when we first started to play against you on Magic Online. You would you would be known as the Windswept Heath Miracles player. <laughs> the, I tell you, the budget. My, that was the, this when I was building the deck. I was like, I think I, it was, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, that's why I was playing. That's why I played Legends Miracles at first because I couldn't get the Volcanic Islands and the Red Fetchlands because they were like twenty tickets or something each. So I just played the Legends one because it seemed okay in the mirror and I don't need a splash. So anyway, so basically, story of your life is is EV value, value, value. <laughs> that makes me wonder. Uh, before we continue, what do you actually do for a living or for education? Right now, I'm just a student um, for art history. So yeah. Which I guess is the opposite of value, but you know it's different. When it? You're it depends magic. on how you much enjoy it. Yeah, that's why I'm in it. It's because I do it because I enjoy it, not for that you know money value. <laughs> like I don't have aspirations, you know, to become a CEO of a art history thing or you know a. a <laughs> I don't even know what that would be. <laughs> yeah, you could be I a curator even... of a museum. Yeah. So, 
but uh, anyway but what was the question you were asking before i interrupted you Bob? uh oh yeah kind of your goals for this upcoming mythic championship um well actually it's really cool when i was playing at the gp against edgar after the after like the gp ended he said i could maybe test his team face to face which would be really cool because it has like nasif and a lot of other smart guys on it on the team too so i don't know i'll see how how, how uh he said he, that yeah i could probably join it i'll try not say anything too stupid because it's but um i do draft a lot so my goal i don't know i would just try and play my best though i did hear i play those mocks things a lot and some of the moto grinders they love to say how the mocks are super tough and like they always say like the mox is harder than the pro tour so if that's true well at least i play the mox a lot so i could just pretend the mox is the pro tour in a way um but like limited is really hard i would say it's you know when you're playing chess and you just have infinite decisions so you just play at random it's pretty similar when you're trying to play <laughs> sealed or draft where you just are like okay i have infinite decisions i have no idea what to do so i'm just going to try and like improve my game i definitely I, I do play a lot of that format but it's definitely very complicated we're constructed it's a lot even though it can be hard it's a lot more rigid in a way so you, you have a lot more you're guided a lot more and constructed by what to do when you're playing sealed they kind of drop you like i even try and watch ben stark and lsp videos i watch it i'm like okay okay i learned i learned i read the article listen to limited resources you drop me in a draft i'm like Oh no, where's like mommy? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I want to call LSV. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? It's like, I just blank everything, but I'm slowly getting better at those. Like, um, anyway, I was actually thinking, I was asking, I was thinking of asking for, I saw the, some coaching services and I saw Corey Burkhardt. It was like $50. And he's like a really, he's a player I respect a lot because when I, I was playing a lot of modern, he top aided like three GPs with Grixis Control and Modern, which as a Snapcaster Cryptic player, it's like absurd respect. So I was thinking to like maybe an hour session to draft just to see like if he, what critiques he has of what I'm doing and et cetera. <laughs> dude, um, dude, honestly, you sound like a magic machine. Like you devour all the formats, limited, constructed, legacy, modern, standard. You sound like a, a juggernaut in the making. Like yeah, I just play. I just play a. It's just I play a lot. Like I, I mean, I have other hobbies too and stuff, but I just like to play a lot of Magic Online. Although it's because yeah, like I said, like I like EV. When I was playing Magic Online, you make money. So you know, if you play, so I didn't really need to like do a part-time job because I could just do Magic Online. And then I was like, oh, like when I was like a kid, I'm like twenty dollars. That's absurd. So I would just like want to constantly improve so I could keep getting those twenty dollars because that's like absurd paychecks for me at that point. <laughs> I like how uh, when you won the GP, you're like, I have money now. Yeah, because well, it's during the matches, I forgot. Like, I didn't even know why we were playing. Like my mind was such a blur. I just knew I really didn't want to lose, and like I, I didn't even know what I was playing for. Like if you enter my mind at that point. Like, I was just playing because, like, it's like if I lost, I would have died or something. Or I was like, my arm would have <laughs> off. And then when I won, I'm like, oh, sweet. It's, uh, I guess I, I forgot we were just playing for fun. And I guess I have, I, we were just playing for money, I guess. <laughs> but, like, when I was playing, like, like losing would have been, like, uh, some, like, horrible. I don't, it's not that I was telling myself that, but, like, the way I probably was thinking and feeling, it's like, it would just be so horrible. Like, that's why I was probably making, like, loud sounds, like, loud breathing sounds when something bad was happening. Or I was going, like, oh, yeah. But um, yeah. Is it so gonna that be? Was, is it gonna be your first time in Europe? Um, well, since my dad is Swiss, I've been a couple times to to Switzerland, so I've been I've been to Europe before a couple a few times, but um. First time in Barcelona. Yeah, first time in Spain. Yeah. Oh, it's it's to me like it's one of my top three most favorite cities in Europe. You're gonna like make sure to if you can stay a little longer probably afterwards and just like enjoy it because it's it's a lot of fun yeah i second that it's probably like along with prague those are my two favorite cities to visit in europe 
Um, when did you come to Europe, Bob? Uh, I've been there like a bunch of times, actually. Really? I studied abroad in Paris, and then uh, I did an internship in London too. So. Oh, okay, I had no idea. Oh yeah. yeah, you have a proper job now, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that is that is the nice thing is as soon as you have a proper job, you stop you stop worrying about how much uh, magic cards cost, and you can just like build every deck you want in Legacy, basically. <laughs> uh, so, in speaking of, if you guys ever want to book a safari, hit me up. <laughs> uh, anyway, Daniel. So um, now you do all of this. You probably wouldn't consider yourself like primarily a Legacy player. Um, because like my impression of you was like this is like a diehard legacy guy because you see we see you like in the legacy queues on magic online and doing well and all those numbers but would you say that legacy is like your favorite format or is it just like one of many formats that you play for dev <laughs> i would Money. say the way it's kind of hard to think about games because sometimes i think why do sometimes like when i when i'm going through periods where i'm like losing a lot i'm like do i enjoy this game should i be playing it if i get frustrated when i'm losing and then i'm like which formats do i enjoy well i kind of like winning so what does that mean for game design like a lot of people have opinions like this should be legal this shouldn't be legal and i'm like i'm not a game designer i don't even want to think about like what good or bad gameplay is all i know is that I, so i find it very difficult to think about what i actually like and dislike it's just very difficult to know like what actually makes a good experience or not and like what makes a format high variance or low variance um i like i get frustrated when i like i'm not i wouldn't say i'm salty like maybe a couple years ago i would like say stuff but now well, to get better, I had to just, like, not be... Like, I wouldn't be salty to my opponents, but, like, maybe, like, once in a while I'd say something dumb in the chat, you know. But, like, to actually get better, I just you just have to stop being salty because it just wastes energy to, you know, improve. Actually, I'd say that's, like, that's like one big thing. Like, just to, when 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 Now I just see it, like, if I, like, lose, I just see, okay, I had a plan. It didn't come together. Was it the best plan? Okay, it was. Like, there's nothing more you can do. But, um... So when I was playing Legacy, like, testing for the GP, um... I don't know. It's it depends at times. It's really hard to know like what good game design is because my my view of how much I enjoy the format is so biased by if I'm winning or not. So it's really hard <laughs> to know by like if I really like it. I mean, I do like playing Legacy. I like weird grindy games. Um, I like the weird card pool. I, I love obviously casting Ponder and and stuff. Um, and Snapcaster Mage. So it, it's hard to tell. I love the experience of playing Stoneblade when my opponent goes City of Traders, and I'm like just like begging that the, the tournament's like City of Traders Chalice, and my hand's just like a bunch of Stoneforge Mystics. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> but um, I don't know if it's my favorite format. I do like it. It's, it's hard to say. I'd say I would generally like most formats. I, I usually like learning. Like I like the process of I'm playing a format. I'm like, okay, why am I losing? How can I improve it? And then I don't like formats where I find I do that and then I can't actually improve. So I like formats where you can like sort of be like, okay, why am I losing? How can I improve? And then you can actually improve. I think you can do that okay in Legacy, but it always depends like on the band season. So like different bands yeah. have, have different seasons. But I would say like it's hard to pick a favorite. It usually, but I um I do enjoy it like. It, it, the nice deep card pool is very nice. Like I, I usually just switch which formats I play all the time. So, so how did you so like end up on your uh, deck for the tournament? And like, what what had you been testing like up to this point? So basically, there's a local a friend of mine, Omar Belden, um, and he was just playing the deck a lot and winning like a lot with the deck. So we played. We had a team trios event. I think it was like in February or something. It's just like a one k local thing. And they're like, hey, do you want to play for fun? I'm like, sounds fun. So he was our legacy seat. I'm standard, and my other friend is modern. Tyler Nightingale was modern. 
and um he was playing like this we were we had a group chat for the team we weren't very serious because it was just the 1k so we're just like what are you going to play if you want to chat it was mostly I, none of us had standard cards really so the group chat was mostly to get me to make sure i actually had a standard deck and wasn't going to show up like an idiot so um he was like, oh, I think I'll play Blue White Blade. It's kind of cool. I don't know. He also, one thing about Omar, I have to say. So last year there was the team trios uh, in Grand Prix Toronto, and we worked on Grixis Delver a lot, like Death Right era, and he went like X and one at the Grand Prix. I mean, his team didn't do so well, but he he was just like he picked up Legacy. He played Grixis Delver. He like told me like all these things. He's like sideboard island, play Dead Gone over this, like, and he went X one. So I like my previous experience was him playing Legacy. Is like he like fixed all the issues. Like does insane. So I was like, okay um i trust this although he's like really smart so i was like okay um let's see what he's doing so he's like yeah i think i'm gonna play blue white delver and then i like raised eric landon's points where he's like well or i guess many people make points like the delver from blue white delver is like the least scary delver in the world like the swords they're the least scary swords to plowshares the wastelands are the least scary wastelands those delvers are the least delvers like everything is the least scary so he was like okay true true so uh, i'll just play blue white stone blade so he shows up to the the event and I'm, i look over at his table and he has delvers on the board and i'm like wait what's he doing like it's not like he would betray i was just like he's playing delvers it's kind of weird because he, he he agreed that they were really bad then after the event i found out he went 8-0 at this event by the way beating like three miracles players which would be like or maybe two two or three which would be like bad matchup for blue white stone blade obviously or blue white delver it would be like atrocious matchup and uh he said no i sideboarded i sideboarded my delvers and i'm like whoa what so i tried it in a league basically he said it was like for combo match he said like delver is like very good in some matchups and it's very bad in other matchups and i want it like as a tool to combat certain matchups um i i might be butchering what he said but basically i just tried it in a league and i went like 5-0 in my first league so i'm like okay that that was fun i guess so then i joined the challenge i won the challenge i'm like okay this was cool um <laughs> but then i played it in the showdown and i lost to two tundra mirrors they were very close it was actually against rich shea and tommy ashton who are very good players so uh, i was kind of down on the deck but Oh, no, and then there was the PTQ just like a week or two weeks ago, and I, I was tuning a lot. My deck was getting too big-brained. Like, I had Jace Friends Prodigy and the Monarch Clan. It was just like a very weird list. And basically what happened, actually, that PTQ was my decisions would get really difficult, and it was like it, like the chess thing. And I'm like, okay, I would make a decision at random, and then I'd lose. I'm like, I need to simplify my deck. I can't play like, you know... Uh, like a 10,000 IQ deck so I, I really have to simplify it but then so I was I was trying blue red prowess because I'm like okay I can play this deck at 100% I love to play this deck it's fun so like I won't be like tilted so I was testing a lot of blue, blue red prowess and that's like a deck I always sort of do okay with but it's always my backup deck because it's like not great against combo so I don't want to you know play it necessarily but then I saw Omar Belden again he won like a 1k or something with Esper Blade and I was talking to him about it and he's like yeah it's just pretty good it's fun and and I was like okay I'll try blue white blade and I think I went like on Monday before the uh, thing. I went like 14 and one in leagues with blue white blade. Also, here's what really got me on it. I kept trying Grixis brews, like Grixis control, Grixis Pyromancer, Grixis Delver. I tried one with like four Bobs and four Terramanders, and they were just so bad in comparison to the blue white blade deck. I'm like, okay, maybe this deck isn't so bad. And then I was like, I just did, was running really hot in Modo, and I was like, okay, like this deck has like issues. Um, it's it's not perfect, but I guess I'll just play it. It's also fun to play. And so that's sort of how I landed on the deck, if that makes sense. And also I had it together. Like it was getting kind of like, like that Monday was before, like I had to leave in like two or three days and I already had the deck mostly together. So I was like that or blue red prowess basically. Actually, um, yeah, because Edgar Magalhaes, the guy he top eight too, he messaged me and he's like, Daniel, if you want to play Grixis, I've been doing really well with the four color control deck, but I just didn't have enough time to test the deck. 
So that, that was another deck I would have slightly considered, but I, I just sort of had all the cards together. Well, if Hans Jacob is listening, he lent me a lot of cards. I mostly had all the cards together, and I, I decided to... So I, I played the deck, and it was like, just I'll just play the deck, and I played a lot. Like, it was what I was playing the most, so I'm like, I can play it well, I guess, and, and that's what I'll play. So that was sort of how I landed on it. And so I was wondering whether you, like, did this thing that you ended up not doing, where you, like, you take all the decks in Legacy and you, like test them against each other like which nobody ever really does but for you it, it, was it kind of clear that you would be going into that direction so you wouldn't like pick up or and try and learn what you called like a 1000 iq deck uh like storm or something where you need a lot of experience like not saying that you like i think you do need like especially uh, when it comes to like the grindier matchups a lot of experience with blue white Deva uh, or blue white stoneblade as well but did, did you feel you were like locked into that stoneforge playstyle kind of did, did you like not consider other decks well it was sort of like i've played a lot of miracles too as well I, I was a miracles player for, sort of for a long time and i actually played at eternal weekends um in november and it was actually really funny me and hans jacob we were it was like we we both hate base uh, non-basic land so I, we had i had like one tundra main one volcanic sideboard like the ultimate i don't want to get wastelanded <laughs> and um but um and it, basically i felt like the miracles deck i was trying to analyze why it was losing with it sometimes and i felt like the chalice decks just weren't very good matchups people say it's okay they're like i'm like being okay isn't good like if i play against five eldrazi decks and i go three two like that I, that's gonna be i'm not trying to that's not a good way to win a grand prix i want to be excellent against chalice decks so basically what i saw was um whenever i play these blue decks you just weren't very good against chalice even well you'd be like okay like you could be 60 percent or 65 or 55 but that's that's not good enough to win a grand prix but i saw like the blue white stoneblade it's basically the ponder deck where you're actually good against chalice decks funnily enough i only played against one chalice deck the whole weekend but i found like it was really easy to lose to those decks and i just uh, didn't want to be caught off guard in the matchup i'm looking at your deck list right now um it seems to be rather straightforward. I mean, there's some inclusions you don't always see, like, for example, Spell Snare, which I think has been, like, making a very small comeback for almost, like, almost one or two years now. Like, looking back, Spell Snare used to be, like, a mainstay in a lot of decks, like, ten years ago. Uh, and also on the sideboard, I guess the card we were <laughs> not trying to discuss too much is, like, Tomat Script, which, uh, for example, Eric Lenton recently made, like, a pretty big case for not playing Thomas Script in blue decks, but that's of course, of course, heavily coming from the black red reanimator perspective. Um, can you can you talk us a little bit about some of the choices you made in your deck? Like you, of, of course, you committed a lot to Stormforge Mystic, like with four copies. Also, Fortune Nemesis. Do you uh, feel that those cards are pretty much like all your four of are locked in? Like Ponder, Brainstorm, Swords of Plowshares, Force of I would guess, yeah, Force of is a four as well. It makes sense. Um, basically. What did you try to hedge against, except for Chalice, which you were also targeting with like two Council's Judgment in the main deck, and then also an Engineered Explosives in the sideboard, and another Disenchant? So, like you mentioned, you already have a lot of regular gameplay with like Stoneforge and True Name against Chalice, and also a lot of other things you can do. Like, where do you feel that your deck is vulnerable? Like, where did you hedge your bets a little bit? It's really hard to, because uh, one thing is I felt like Miracles was my worst matchup. And I remember I kept saying in like the Legacy Friends chat, Miracles is my worst matchup. And like all like Sam Rukas and people would they would disagree with me and they'd be like, no, no, no. So I it's kind of like I don't actually really know what my worst matchups are because people seem to not think so. But um, so I would say the main flex spot in the main is the Vendillion. Mm -hmm. um, most of the other cards are sort of 
basically sorted out. And the flex, the, the role I want that slot to do is be a sort of removal spell against Delver. Obviously, Vendelian is not very good at that, which is... But sort of like, if you look at the main deck, um, I actually beat a lot of Delver on the weekend, but game one is actually quite a scary matchup because if you look, there's not that many removal spells and your threats are all clunky and not great at stabilizing. Like Stoneforge and Truding, they're obviously very good, but they're not, they're very vulnerable to Daze and like other stuff and like a Lightning Bolt. So against Delver, it's very easy to lose game one because your threats are clunky. You don't have a lot of removal. It can be hard to stabilize. Postboard, I have two Supreme Verdicts. Um, so yeah, the, the main slot I kept like debating about was the click. I was like, should it be an explosives, a councils, or a verdict, or whatever. But then I just remembered when Jarvis was saying the day nine quote, if you don't know what to do, just kill them. And so I just played the click, <laughs> and it was good in the MCQ. So I'm like, okay, I'll, it was like randomly just very good in the MCQ. I was like, wow, this is impressive. I want to try it in this thing. For the four true names thing, there's definitely the case, like if you're playing against, if your hand is like one click, one true name, it's very awkward. Cause like, let's say you're playing a control deck and they have man up. You'd obviously much rather just pass, play click, then play true name. But basically there's a lot of matchups where the game plan is just put Jitte on a true name um, versus like walking ballista decks, which is sort of like, like decks, like sort of like weird chalice decks. And you just want true name and you don't really have time to mess around. Um, yeah, this, true name is a really messed up card. Like, I've never really got to fully experience like how strong the card can sometimes be because like I, I usually play a lot of elves. I also play other stuff, but especially over the last years, a lot of elves. And when when I go and play other decks, for example, like Maverick, and my opponent gets two name down, you've that's when you actually realize how good the card is because you really don't interact with it, and you might actually like be slowly getting ahead on board like if your life total just like crumbles in front of true name it doesn't matter and i can very much see why you want to run four copies of that like obviously i lack the experience that you have but it's just something that stood out to me because i think a lot of people actually don't run the full play set of it yeah it can be awkward in the sense that this deck is not a great true name deck in the sense that it sorts the plowshares but it where it really shines is with in combination with stoneforge mystic with the equipment um because obviously like it's hard to beat down when you know you're swordsing your opponent like firing off swords but that it, it really shines with the equipment and sort of like you i play it like a sort of a combo deck where i'm just trying to get a equipment on a true name though i wouldn't take that too literally like you shouldn't just go crazy trying to do that mm -hmm. in your games but like in my head like when i was playing against and taxes in the finals i'm like okay goal put jitte on true name stop like a revoker yeah. and then that's game <laughs> so um like yeah so so one listener question i got for you um they didn't want me to mention their name but why would you say you want to play this deck over Miracles? Oh yeah, that was... Um, also, I should answer the Tormod Crypt question. I just put a note here so I don't skip Tormod's Crypt, uh, casually skipping over the... Analytical, I like it. <laughs> yeah, um, so the Miracles... It was basically so I feel better against Chalice decks. I don't like. I, I don't think Miracles decks are necessarily bad against Chalice, but again, it's to win... Like a, my, my goal is like to win a Grand Prix, to like do as well as possible. I need to be actively favored, and I felt like... I was playing a lot of Depths, like I know Bob likes that deck. Um, for many months, I, uh, and I felt like I just needed it, like to can, to be reasonable to win the event. I just had to be like very good against like those chalice decks, um, and I felt like this was the under deck that was very strong against chalice decks. And I, and I was like, so that's sort of why I played it. I still I also thought the blue red prowess deck was pretty good against the chalice decks because you have storm chaser and like smash, and I could play four true name there too. Um, but it, so, but I felt like this deck was even better than that deck because like this deck can just ignore Chalice on one more. Obviously, if you pick up this deck and you lose to Chalice, don't feel like you get ripped off. Like Chalice is just very good. But I just, <laughs> compared like compared to other decks, like you don't lean on the cantrips. The cantrips are just there to help do your other clunky stuff. And then the Tormod script question. So basically, like I 
I double queue a lot on Magic Online, or, all, or also, like, if you watch me, like, stream or ever play, like, I always, I go, like, too deep online, it's, like, I consider everything, I'm like, oh my god, how can I lose, how can I die, and when I play, like, Surgical, it just goes, like, overload, like, I, it might sound weird, but I kind of, like, look at every target, and I'm like, okay, and I'm making, like, silly arguments, but it's just, like, it's too overloaded, and then, I, I mean, I don't end up usually going cute, but, it, like, Surgical just gets me tired, because I actually do just, like, consider, like, most of the things and arguments and reasons, even though it sounds silly, I just can't stop it. So, it is... Or are you trying to say something, Bob? No, I mean, I'm just thinking that's why we call you the galaxy brain, because you, you think about plays that nobody <laughs> else even considers. So, yeah, and also, like, sometimes I'm double-queuing, and also it's nervous... I'm not gonna lie, it's, like, nerve. You know when you're, like, trying to click on that Grizzle brand and not mess it up? And also, like, if you've ever had the experience where you <laughs> click on the Grizzle brand and don't exile it, like, that probably, like... I, I'm not, it didn't actively bias, but it probably, like, my brain was kind of, like, remove surgical. Uh, that happened the first time I played surgical. It was against Life from the Loam, and I was like, what the hell, like... But it, luckily it was against Daryl, and he was just like, okay, I won't use it. But, uh, yeah, I didn't realize that was how the card worked, is that you could actually not click the card in the graveyard. Yeah, so I always, like, sweat, like... I was like, <laughs> that's why you don't play surgical. It's too hard to misclick. And also, yeah, when you're to misclick. when you when you're like clicking on like grizzle brand, it's like you're like trying to not hit the lotus petal in the swamp, and like you hope your finger doesn't crash. Like I look behind, but nobody's <laughs> creeping behind. Like it's like a whole. So Where's Tormod's crypt? You just target your opponent, and it's like a much bigger box to target, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you would say you like the C4 explosives more than the sniper rifle. Yeah. Kinda. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah, so there's there's also other reasons. Um, but that's just like one one thing that's like important. Like sometimes like I don't try and double queue a lot, but sometimes I like double queue the legacy challenge with like the PTQ I'm doing. And it's just like Tormod script is so much easier. I just play it and then it's so much easier to use in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um but also I think it's better against Dredge, which is um which is like people say, Oh, it's so fringe, but I just think that's like very good. Obviously, it is very fringe, but you know I prefer not to lose to it when I play against it. Um, I think it's better against Storm. I don't understand Storm that well, but I know the Storm players all definitely like hate it. Like I played against 42 AD this weekend actually, and like when I played like Cormod's Crypt, I think he was like shaking his head and stuff. Like, <laughs> man, what the hell is this coming? <laughs> and then with Cyrus, he was also like, yeah, I don't like these Tormod's Crypts, like because they're like good against me or something. Um, against yeah, Reanimator. Oh, sorry, Bob. no, go ahead. So against Reanimator, I know Eric disagrees because on the chat he's always mocking the Tormod scripts and stuff. Um, in the Lex basic, chat. Yeah, basically, <laughs> I remember Tor Eric was one time describing when he plays in real life and his opponents are shaking because they have surgical hand. That's basically me. Like, when I have surgical hand, I'm shaking. I'm like, I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose. Like, so Tormod scripts so much less stress in that way. But also, it's like, I don't have that much... It's what I, When I was playing the Blue Red Prowess deck, for example... I, that's when I was playing. That's the first place I played Tormod's Crypt over Surgical. Because number one, it triggers Prowess main phase, which is big, which is actually like a really big deal. But number two, you don't have relevant targets for your discard. Like you have Force of Will, and that's it. So basically, they just like discard your hate card, and then they go off, or they can play around it with like zooms. I think one reason Eric uh, um, thinks like Surgical so much better in the Tundra decks is because he's scared that if they Surgical his Grizzle Brands, then all his threats like to plow, which I can see. He's played a lot more black red, so maybe that's his experience. They surgical grizzle brand, and then his all his threats just died to plow. Um, and also, it can be worse in some situations where, like, they discard your surgical, but then you have a snapcaster. And if you have tormods and they discard a tormod, you can't use the snapcaster, you can use the surgical. But, like, basically, like, I, I do think it's quite powerful. It's, like, harder for them to play through. Like, let's say they go, like, looting, discard, like, a chancellor. Now you surgical the chancellor when they re get to reanimate it, but now they still have the looting. Um, or like they can just like discard two creatures even, 
or they could like slowly entomb or they could exhume street two creatures so there's definitely different pros and cons but also people do play cabal therapy a lot in the generally named surge cult though it's kind of minor i would say it's most a big part of it is it's quite powerful against dredge and i think dredge is like an extremely good deck that would not be a good matchup without it not a lot of people play it but i do think it's like i mean i don't play it so i don't know exactly but it seems like orum and elf kid like just have absurd win rates with the deck um, but maybe they're just very good players, so they win with whatever deck they play. But I would prefer not... Like, people... Like, it sounds like a joke when I say it's better against Dredge, but I would prefer not to lose it. I, I would... mean, it depends on your deck, but, like, it gives you a one-shot that buys you a lot of breathing room. Yeah. But... I mean, I, I can see where Eric is coming from. I also see your argument. For example, if, if Black Red Reanimator is on a play and they have discard, it doesn't really matter whether you have, like, Surgic or Tomorrow's, because... Even if you untap, you're not going to untap with Tormod uh, Script or with Surgical. Um, there's arguments going both ways. But I, I do understand. But I, also, I find it actually kind of, I hope endearing is the right word, that like you would say, okay, it's so complicated. I think I'm just going to opt for the Crypt. Because I, I think a lot of people do feel like that. Like they feel some, if they are like super honest to themselves, they feel overwhelmed with the decisions that Legacy like presents them with. And they feel like, and I know that, like, from friends I I, I play with, <laughs> uh, I would say I work with, no, I play with, they they also sometimes tell me, this is so complicated, it's actually frustrating, like, how do you always know? And, and I also have to tell them, like, I, I don't always know, but I can tell you from experience, you should do it like this or like this, but I'm not claiming to know it. And that's how you should probably also feel like, you, you have to make the best decision with the, the information you have at hand, and you eventually have to make a decision and be conscious about it. And I guess that's what you did with the Thomas script there. Yeah, it's actually funny. With uh, Stefan Schutz, um, we were testing... Stefan Schutz, yeah. Yeah, we were testing the Stoneblade mirror. And we we had a few decisions, and they took screenshots after. I'm like, what would you do here and here? And, well, I don't remember if he, that's exactly what he said. Maybe I was just speaking over him. I'm like, this is, like, so complicated. There's we have I have literally no idea what to do. Like, we, it was almost like games of EDH. Basically, it would be like this 10, it would be like turn 10, and we both we both have a full grip, and we both, I can cast, like, true name plus this. Like, we have, like, my hands, like, two true name, two Jace, like, a Council's Judgment, a Snapcaster, a Flusterstorm, a Force of Will. And it's like, how do I actually meaningfully sequence everything properly? And I was, like, thinking, I'm like, this is just, like, so difficult. That's actually, when the top eight started, I hope I'm not skipping ahead, I was really nervous if I was going to play Stoneblade Mirror because it's just so hard to know which threats you want to develop. Like, sometimes you can put a Batter Skull in play, but I'm like, this is actually meaningfully interact with, like, they could just go plow play Jace, like, versus should I play Snapcaster, try and get that body on the board, try and dig towards an answer to the Jace. Or, like, you also have to consider true names. Like, it's very hard to know which threats you actually want to develop to disrupt them, and it can also be very dependent on what their hand is. Like, maybe they have Spell Pierce, maybe they have Plow. So there's just, like, a lot going on. And also it got really stupid when we had Palace Jailers. I'm, like, Palace Jailer to Snapcaster, and then he attacked me, he got the trigger. Then I, like, Palace like Palace Jailer on Palace Jailer. It's just, like, luckily it didn't happen to me this weekend. It felt, like, just so absurd, like, what was going on. Did you um, bring an extra Monarch token? Uh, no, but I had like tokens and I just used, and I just said, this is my monarch token and like I put it there. This crown, I'm gonna use this golden crown as my monarch token. Yeah, I just, I think I used like an elemental or like a bird or something. Like I have like those RK post tokens, they're really nice, and I just like said, this is my monarch token and I just put it on the on the battlefield. Though my finals opponent, he was, he, he was playing two jailers main, so he had an actual monarch token. So, um, I was able so to use So you got this. to use that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, can I use this? And he was like, yeah, sure, man. I don't <laughs> So yeah. before we get to the top eight, um, can you tell us a little bit like about the the Swiss where they 
any interesting interactions or matchups or people you faced uh, and also in general like which kind of matchups did you actually play against i basically played against a bunch of ponder decks um but my <laughs> most interesting so that's not what like the, my deck is not designed for ponder mirrors though it's obviously fine there it's mostly designed to like get like the decks that are trying to get free wins is trying to get free wins against the decks that are trying to get free wins <laughs> like that's <laughs> That's what my deck is designed to do, um, sort of. But I, I um, which decks would you consider free wins? Well, not. It's hard to say free win because then you have like pressure to like mono red stompy is like a very good matchup. Dredge under the London Mulligan rule is like a very. I actually played against Dredge and I lost, but that's because I didn't have the London Mulligan rule, so it's a lot harder to like sculpt my hand. As funny as that sounds, um, mm -hmm. but like you can obviously lose those matchups, but like mono red stompy is just supposed to be very good, and. I guess that's about it as far as and like a black red. I mean, it's just this thing like er everybody always says I'm good against black red because you're not playing against Eric. But yeah, so it's not like actually a good matchup. But I mean, I just it's well, actually, they you know, they ask the question, what's the best card in your deck? I'm like, it's hard to know. It depends on the matchup. But the card that I probably win the most when I cast is Tormod's Crypt. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so when it's good, it's very good. And it's just nice to have a matchup that's like simple. It's actually um, so one thing. Yeah, when I was when the top eight started i was i played against sneak and show round one and i was actually so relieved because i really didn't want to have regrets that i would make any mistakes in the top eight because if i played my best and i just got crushed i would be like that's fine i tried my best so when i was against show and tell i'm like okay if i get crushed i get crushed i'll just try my best and um and did then... you know that terry made made the comment before the finals that he's playing the stack because it's really good against all the tundra decks only to immediately that's what everybody like. says to me like all the years i play magic everybody when i was playing splinter twin everyone would say oh i never lose to twin or like every deck i play like when i play blue tron people are like i never so that's i, I don't even i probably didn't even register that comment like um, the thing is when people say that and they are actually honest like but jerry was somewhat like choking about it i think but yeah. when people say i have never lost to deck x what i tell them is well then you haven't played enough against it because like variance magic works that way you will eventually like lose every now and then and if you tell me you haven't lost to that kind of deck then you really haven't played enough yeah when when a matchup's better for me it's kind of funny it's like when you have that insane draft then you have the pressure to perform so i it's kind of like funny like you don't want a bad matchup but if you have a good matchup i'm like i don't want to lose a good matchup so it, it's kind of i i that's so it's kind of uh funny in that sense so yeah i never I, if it's a good matchup you can obviously still lose but um it just means that you're slightly favored in a way, and, and uh, that's good uh, for you, obviously. So you didn't play any any wonky decks? You ch just played um, straight up legacy decks during There was course? a couple interesting moments. Versus 42 AD was definitely the most interesting. I'll, I'll give the story quickly. I think, well, actually, I played against a very weird Rixus Delver deck in round five, round four. I actually played against three Delver decks in a row to start. I played against Blue Red Delver round two, then I played against Rixus Delver. It was actually Brandon Dalloway, who plays on Moto a lot. He, he got pretty mana screwed versus me. Like, he drew four underground seeds game one. I'm like, is he playing blue-black? I don't know what's going on. But after the game, his hand apparently was like a bunch of bolts. So that's how you win a GP. <laughs> and then uh, round four, I played against a Grixis Delver opponent. He actually went X1 on day one. So, you know, don't don't laugh at his deck or something. He, he did really well. I saw after he was like top of the standings. That was his only loss. And I actually won in round five of time against him, which was very nice. Well, I, I had like a Jitte, so... But any, anyway, um, so I probably could have won a turn earlier, but I was just being safe um so he was so game one what happened is he i just saw basic swamp like he has two delvers my hand didn't have removal spells it was like cantrips and i just died to two delvers like he guess it's not sees dazed me once had a force of will and i saw like basic swamp i'm like i don't know i guess death shadow probably like i said pretty similar for all the delver decks so i just like um decided like for that then game two i found that he was like rixus delver but he has like colligan's command but he had basic swamp and basic island 
and he had a Niv Magus elemental. So I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay. what's going on? I think I even saw a Snapcaster Mage. So I'm like, whoa, this is like not a normal deck. So then game three, what happened? What was so stressful? I was like super far ahead for a stock Grixis Delverleck. I'm like, okay, they can't do much. Then he, he I had like a true name out basically and with like a Jitte on it. But then he casted Jace the Mind Sculptor. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and then like, cause then that can draw an edict. And like, so the game got super intense, but he, he actually faith sealed me a lot of times, which is kind of weird, I guess. Maybe we were close to time. Like he actually might've, like, I remember he kept faith sealing me and I was like, okay. And he, anyway, like, I mean, not to, not to sound rude, but I was like, I was like, thank God he's, I'm not, he's not brainstorming. Cause like, you know, they draw three cards when, cause he was like hellbent. He had like one or two cards in hand. I don't know exactly the reasoning, but I, I definitely remember. I was like, oh, thank you. And um, so that was a weird deck. And then I played against Lance, which it's funny because you know, I don't have surgical. They're like, how do you beat Lance? And I'm like, I don't like, I'll find, I'll find a way when I play against it. Well, luckily I played against Lance. I found the way that was definitely the most stressful match. <laughs> it was only round five. So I didn't like have a lot of pressure at that point, but I was really happy I win. I mean, they had Tabernacle and had like four Squires and they had like a maze of this, but I just like had to pay four and keep beating down. It was the one twos. It was like pretty ridiculous. Um, like just to, for them to get untapped by the maze and they're just like one power, but like, what else am I going to do? Like that was my game plan. <laughs> um also i remember one time i clicked him in game two and I was, my goal was to get a punishing fire like he tapped one mana to like gamble or something and I, it was actually funny i tormod's crypted him i only sided in tormod's crypt twice because i played fair mirrors the whole time against him and martin and after the match he actually said how many tormods do you have like i was lucky to draw my one i'm like i have three and he's like oh okay and um anyway so I, like i tormod's crypted him and then I, like because he yeah he taps the gamble this card is the life from the loam i i crypt him I click him, he has two, and his hand is like double choke and a drop of honey and, or something like that. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll just pass. He casts the choke and I just beat down with a click. Like, uh, just get, But anyway, that was an exciting game. But against 42 AD, this was actually a um, very interesting game because if you ever play against him on, no, on Moto, you know he plays weird decks. Like, he just plays like a weird... Yeah, like he plays like like pernicious deeds, abrupt decay's main, like sixty one cards with multiple tendrils. But if you're a blue player, like for if you're an else player, that might not sound like a nightmare. When you're playing a blue player, you're like it's it's like what am I even supposed to do in this matchup? I don't even know what's going on whenever you play against him. So when I played against him game one, he was going draw go. Like I recognize his name as like Martin Vonasek. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Wait, 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 wait. Martin is forty two AD. Yeah, Martin Vonisek. I know Martin like quite well from European tournaments. I had no idea he was 42 AD. Does he play? Is it, if the guy plays Storm a lot, I'm like 99 yeah, percent Martin, sure it's Martin him. Yeah, very well known for Storm. He might as well have like the entire deck tattooed on his body or something. Yeah, yeah. So I played against him, and game one. It's a bad matchup, game one. But I knew the matchup, so I could sort of mulligan. But my seven was already fine. But it wasn't very good. But I just go like turn three, turn eight, true name, turn four, Jace. The first time he tries to go to combos, turn six. But I have my one click, and he he like casts a bunch of rituals, casts the pass and flames. I click him. His hands like two lotus petals and like and a tendril. So I bought him the tendrils, and he scoops because <laughs> I guess he just drew like like so. But I mean, my hand was like very stacked because I had Jace for a bunch of turns, but. It was definitely like a tricky dance. I was actually like playing so slowly against him because I didn't want to mess it up because I, I knew who he was and like how I how I probably punted against him on Moto before. So like I, I like I, I like I remember in our in our second game I had a Flusterstorm and I was like for two minutes thinking do I Flusterstorm when he was like I'll bet I was just like counting I'm like one two three four five six one two like um so that might have been tilting for him. And then in the second game that's what happened that was really cool. So I sided in Containment Priest because I have these true names aside from being blue to pitch the force and have an extra power. It's basically the threat that's really hard to cast or Containment Priest I can just flash it in and try and get mm -hmm. like through his like grindy nonsense of trying to tendrils me naturally or whatever the old ambush viper yeah and also the torment scripts were good there like i cast the first torment script and like abrupt decayed it i cast the second one he like pernicious deed or one <laughs> second uh give me one second yeah sure 
Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, it sounds like Daniel just had, like, an amazing tournament. I've definitely played around, like, against Martin a lot, and he definitely has the cards that, like, get you. He also has, like, extirpates and stuff. Yeah, so that, it's a little a, bit of a nightmare. That's fame, right? The extirpates in the side part that he used to play. I think yeah. he also, like, like um, we mentioned, he also plays Deed, and I think that there's always a discussion about whether you should play Deed in that deck or not. Uh, I think he's the only one doing it, but I can imagine it being quite annoying, especially since it like gets rid of all the hate bears, and I think there's nothing you can really do about it. Yeah, it's also really good against the Chalice decks if you end up casting it. But... Sorry, I'm back. Yeah, no worries. Um, I don't know. So one other thing that you mentioned earlier was like you really wanted to have good matchups, and that's that's basically my mindset now going forward like i've played delver at a bunch of gps and it just felt like very medium where i played it at scg too like i played it at scg syracuse and i went like i started off 6-0 it was amazing i was like oh maybe i can get my first like 9-0 and then i the, it's just, like it just fell off the rails i went 6-3 and it just felt like delver every single time you play delver it's just like you fight really hard because there's like no good matchups left so that's like part of the reason why I decided to play Depths is because like I felt very confident against certain matchups. Like I felt pretty confident against Miracles, and against the Chalice decks, which I thought like you know those two decks are going to be very good. So I thought it's good to have some good matchups at the top. So that's that's basically going to be my plan going forward. For Legacy is like know what you want to attack in the metagame and then pick a spot. Like, I, I'm, I'm done playing, like, 50-50 decks. Like, it just, like, doesn't really appeal to me. And I do think, like, there are times when Delver's going to be good again. Like, for example, I think on Magic Online, there was a period where I thought Depths was insane, but then all the combo decks started coming out and the, they were good against Depths. So then I thought Depths was bad, but then Delver was good because Delver was good against the combo decks. So, like, it's going to depend on the metagame, but, like, I, I'm just done playing, like, 50-50 decks is how I feel about Legacy right now. Oh uh, yeah, one before I go back to the containment priest story to end it quickly was uh, or the 42AD story like of our weird game too. Yeah, I played a lot of Grixis Delver like posted death right ban. Um, even a lot, a lot of pros were saying like it's the best deck and stuff. And the two main issues I had with it, one I found I was losing to Wasteland a lot, which kind of sounds weird, but like I do leagues and like usually once or twice a league I just lost a match to Wasteland. And part of, and um, another thing is you just didn't have enough one drops. Like that would have obviously been death, right? You don't have enough one drops to leverage everything you're trying to do, like your dazes and your spell pierces. That's where like the quad angler list helps a lot because you can try and use anglers as pseudo one drop. Like they wasteland you, you can cast angler to punish that. And you have all these anglers to back up your like minor disruption to truly be backbreaking. Um, but uh, anyway, back to the, the containment pre-store, which is kind of weird. So anyway, like he was like abrupt decaying my stuff, pernicious deeding my stuff um anyway so i cast containment priest and basically so one turn he, he so one turn i went to like snapcaster brainstorm but he extirpated my brainstorm so he saw that i had two priests in my deck he's like he's on my deck list then like a couple turns later i cast the containment priest and um or like he ended up de decaying it anyway so i like one turn he thought seizes me he sees my hand passes to me i take a draw step i think and i pass and basically what had happened was he knew i had a true name in hand and some counter spells so I basically always cast a true name because like there's no reason I wouldn't tap out. But the only card that I would have is either Snapcaster Mage, but I don't have Brainstorm, so I'd just play the true name because I lost all my brainstorms. Like, I'd, or I had Containment Priest, and he had an Extirpate and had a Containment Priest in the yard, and he ended up not extirpating the Containment Priest. I mean, I don't know if it would have changed the match, but he definitely said like um, he was thinking of extirpating my Containment Priest, and I actually did have one in hand. That's why I passed and I <laughs> cast it, which was kind of I thought that was kind of like. A, a really weird and funny spot like that what that was the only draw where i wouldn't cast the true name um you know because if he, he plays against me and like i'm gonna i'm not gonna not play my true name it's not i'm not gonna just like try and do, go draw go against him like uh -huh. yeah. 
Um, I'm trying to think if there was any other weird moments in the the event um, in the Swiss. There wasn't there wasn't really. I played against an Esper Blade player who's playing Jace Friend's Prodigy. That's just kind of a card I like a lot. It's not really a good story, um, I guess. Um, and but how did you feel when you like when you eventually I guess when you got to like. 13 and 0, you knew you were locked for top 8 at that point. Then I basically I just didn't want to make any mistakes in the top 8, because I'm like, I, I, I play a lot of Magic, and like, um, actually, this is one thing about one-ofs. I used to find, you know, like, when you stress out about a one-of, I found it on, like, wait, after tournaments, I'm never, like, stressing about what one-of to play. I just stress out about one or two times I misplayed, so that's why I don't, like, really stress out about my deck list that much. Obviously, it's important, but I found post-tournaments, I'm never like, oh, I wish my deck list was better. Well, obviously, it has to be, like, not terrible, but... I, so that's why I'm usually mostly focused on just not making small mistakes. So when when I thought I was like locked for the top eight, well, number one, when I'm, at, at those rounds, I, usually when I'm winning, I'm like, okay, what am I doing right that I can reproduce my wins? And I was like, sort of like, well, not much. I'm just sort of like, I just need to kind of get lucky because I don't really have an extra power level over them. My opponents, like, they're not playing bad, like if they're playing reasonable. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll just try and play my best and win. But it was, so it's definitely stressful in that in that sort of way, I'm like, I can't really do anything broken, like, I don't have this broken deck, I just need to keep, like, hoping it just comes together and I win, because, it, like, when I would think, I'm like, man, this would be, like, this weekend would be, like, so hard to reproduce, or, like, like, it's not like I'm, like, now I want to go to another Legacy GP, like, they're saying of the land, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think I want to go for a, or at least for a few weeks, I probably wouldn't want to play, because, like, winning that many games in a row, it definitely just felt like, I was like, that would be very hard to reproduce, and then when I was in, yeah, in the top eight, I was like, I just don't want to make any mistakes, because uh, then I would I would regret that. Like as long as I yeah. just didn't make mis mistakes, then I would uh, there would be nothing to regret. And you played an amazing game in the semifinals. Actually, an, an amazing match in the semifinals against Sheriff Fabiano. Um, we got to like we didn't get to see it or watch it, but uh, our friend Anorak Das was actually live tweeting the entire match, like in very good quality, like very detailed turn by turn actually. And I was glued to my Twitter feed because I kept refreshing, updating. I wanted to see what what was happening in your match, and I think your match might have lasted i don't know f forever and like went really deep i think the match one of the matches even finished on turn 30 or something like i remember anorak tweeting that he thinks that like one of the players might act like i think gerard might have almost stacked in the second game when he had like i don't know like eight cards left in the library and almost no one conditions and then he got here with the mentor that that must have been like an absurd match that didn't oh, feel that way to you as well I should have looked at his library size. I just remember to fairy ulted me, like exiled on my permanence, and I just scooped, and I didn't look at his library size. But I guess he drew so many cards, maybe he. So the, yeah, I don't, I don't remember because I just re maybe he he had a man. But no, I remember in game two what happened is at the beginning. So game one was kind of cool because I got I got a force of will of plow with which uh, I don't, maybe it doesn't sound that's like that. Sorry to interrupt you. That's something I wanted to ask you about as well because. That's something not like to phrase it for people. You played turn two Stoneforge and your opponent uh, for Better Sky, and your opponent sorts to plowshare it, your Miracle's opponent, and you force filled that. And that was like quite surprising to me because that's not something a lot of people I think would do. Um, but from then on, I felt like the game developed a lot about that Stoneforge because your opponent had to. Or, uh, maybe you want to tell that story because, but I was wondering whether this was like the. A decision you made based on having played that matchup infinite times where you felt like okay i want to make the, this match play this exact way and then i'm gonna be ahead well basically like what happened later. um was i brainstormed on turn one if i or, or like ponder like i knew the top my card in my library was bad and my hand was like island planes planes jitte batter skull because i already searched true name snapcaster force of will and basically if i didn't force of will i first of all we had open deck list so i knew i had triple spell pierce main 
So if I didn't force a will, it would be really hard to use my mana past that point, because number one, I can't cast true name, I can't even cast snap, like cast Jitte does nothing. And my top card was bad. It was like a plow. I, I can't remember exactly, but I just remember it was like not good. Like it wouldn't let me do anything. So I just wanted to keep using my mana to keep developing. And like, I'm like, okay, if he has a second plow, that's not great. But also it's going to be hard to use the force of will without him having uh, the spell pierce up. And also like this way, for example, I can put batter skull in play. Then if he has snapcaster plow, by that point, I can have Jitte on my stone forge. And like, if I draw plow, which is like the worst card in my deck, probably, then I can just plow the snapcaster and beat him with the thing. So I sort of like, so I can keep using all my mana every turn to like try and put him on the back foot and but it was mostly because like i knew my top card was bad and i didn't have anything to do with my mana anyway so that was sort of why i did it but definitely felt good when it worked because i'm like yeah nice uh to work but and also it's like what am i trying to beat like it, they go better because they have accumulated knowledge i'm kind of it's the onus is kind of on me to end the game especially in game one in, in a sense so you have to beat down pretty much actually i had a nice game against gerard in the in the swiss we played like round 12 or 13 i think i was his or 11 or something i was actually his only loss in the swiss so it's the end of his turn and i've been dilly in him and he has like all his mana up it's like four lands like a tundra two islands a fetch land i click him he says okay resolves i look at his hand um it's like snap esther plow spell snare counterbalance force of will terminus and i take the plow and like it's like he obviously didn't want to plow it but uh and then i end up killing him with the click because i'm like like that hand is just so stuck my hand's like jitte <laughs> and, and dumb stuff and like council's judgment like i can't out and i don't have like good top decks in my deck compared to him so i just take that and i just uh he ends up having to like being awkward spot like you can't draw like a plow right away or like I, we start fighting over the click and i just kill him with the click so that definitely was kind of a cool game in a way and um, I, I was trying to anyway. So yeah, in the in the second game, what happened was he mulliganed to five, and he was on the play. So he's like down three cards in a sense. But basically, what happened is like round turn five or six, um, my hand was like uh, my board. I had like two islands and a tundra, and my hand was like council's judgment, palace jailer, like a, a two or three cover spells. And he had like one or two cards, I can't remember exactly. And I even had a random one-two stoneforge. I even let him he counsels my batter skull because I like tapped out or for whatever. Like maybe Snapmaster Ponder or something. And I was like, I could force a will that, but I'm like, I don't even care. I have this palace jailer I want to protect. But basically what happened mm -hmm. is I think I drew like two or three islands in a row, and then like he drew a counterbalance, he had a Teferi, I tried to counterspell it, but then he blind flipped the force of will. And then like I, I kept I like I think like two to five turns where I probably could have cast jailer for free. And I couldn't I was like I kept drawing like islands and fluster storms. And it was like I was like, Oh man, if I can't even win on the multiply, I'm like, this was like my free win. Like I just like had it all ready. Like I just need that one land. Or if I don't draw a land, at least I could draw like spells like true name like i remember i cast true name but then he verdicted it away like it just you had that opening for like so many turns and i'm like now i gotta go to game three so that was definitely very uh stressful but then i was like okay it's game three i'll just you know try again but it's gonna be tough so yeah yeah that game that game like i mentioned like it really went on forever and you said you eventually ended up losing to the fairy ultimate because i think from from anorak's coverage it looked like you you had already lost to the the mentor and the talents but maybe that came on top as well i don't think he actually even cast a mentor against me because i remember in game three i cited out <laughs> all my plows so maybe it was an, maybe it was a, another maybe it was like it was against somebody else because i actually don't think he passed unless i'm I, I need to read coverage maybe it was against like a grixis guy or or something, or okay. maybe I'm confusing it, because I actually remember usually I keep in two to three claws against Miracles, but I actually cut all four against him. Um, because I think I just... the most likely scenario is that Anorak lied to us. Or maybe because he just... does have two uh, Monastery Mentor on the sideboard, I suppose. Yeah, I, I know, I saw the open deck list. Um... No, I watched the match, he definitely didn't have Mentor in game two, or or, or in the semifinals. He probably had it in the quarterfinals against Grixis Delver. Yeah, maybe oh, I... that might have been it then. Yeah, maybe, maybe I could... Was it. 
Yeah. Maybe I could have paid attention to if he uh deck because I don't remember. Only there was a video feed that we could look into. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, because maybe he could have decked out and I could have won the second game. I don't know how many cards he had in the library. I thought his library was large. Like it was sort of he just exiled all my permanents, and I think his library was large. He mulliganed to five. He didn't really draw that many cards. He just had that random Teferi. So I think his library was actually pretty big. Like he didn't cast that many cantrips. He kind of just randomly played a Teferi, got it to eight, and then when it was like at eight, he ultimated it, and then he like exiled all my permanents, and like he didn't like he had so. I think he had a lot of cards, but maybe I could have tried to mill him. I didn't look his, but I, I remember, think his library was kind of big, but I can't remember exactly. Um, yeah. And when you ended up going to the finals, did you feel like relief? Did you feel like you you were facing a good matchup in Death in Texas? Well, so what happened was first, I didn't know exactly. I think I thought I saw the guy playing earlier in his Death in Texas. It's actually kind of funny because I wanted to ask for a split, but I didn't want to say, can I see the deck list? And I see it. I'm like, Okay, I want to split because you know then it's like a bad matchup. I made that mistake one time at a local tournament. It was like a 5K, and I was uh, playing against Murphy in the finals. And I said, "Hey, judge, who's on the play?" They're like, "Your opponent." I'm like, "Hey, want to split?" And they're like, "No, screw you." <laughs> and um, any and anyway, so I didn't want to like that. So I didn't really know exactly what he was, even though I was sitting there. Like I was just like, if I play, I'm gonna have open deck lists, and I wasn't really thinking of that. But anyway, so I'm like, okay, do you want to split? Because uh, just to show how much I like to split, my story said a tournament where three O gets a free sandwich. If the beat when I was two, I'm like, you want to split the sandwich? So I, I just like not. So I, I was just like, and I also saw it, like if I win the Grand Prix, like we played out for who wins, I'd be happy anyway. If I lose, then I wouldn't be happy. So that way, like it just evens out in that way. So that's why I wanted to split. But my opponent um, basically, well, I said you want to split, and then there's like a big judge call because he had a bunch of questions, and we were like fucking away from the table. And then he he says, okay, look, uh, I need pro points, so can split but you have to concede to me so that like you know i'm like okay no we'll just play it out i don't want to say anything else because the judge call like gone for a while like, i could have said we can split the the prize and then we can play it out but like there's like a bunch of judges and it was all pretty tired so i was like okay i'll just play it out and um so i was like that's some taxes it's usually like people would say it's a good matchup um, I think it's like maybe a good matchup, but we saw the deck list and he didn't have any cue cards. Usually when you see a Death and Taxes list, like you see like one one Bright Link, one Mirror Crusader, one Restoration Angel, one Sarah Avenger, like all these cards that don't I don't particularly care about them, they can obviously kill you, but they're just like not that scary. When I saw his list, there was none of these cards. It was like four revoker, two jailer, like in the flex spots. I was like, What? Where's the dumb one i was like <laughs> his list was like a like very lean it was like I, I, when i said i'm like this is like absurd this is like looks like a lean stone blade killing machine he was like i beat four stone blade players this weekend um anyway so his deck list definitely looked a lot scarier than most he even had three councils a lot of people play two and he just didn't have any if you see that his deck list he, he just didn't have anything like that you can just ignore easily like all his cards were kind of live against you so that was it definitely was sort of stressful but then like game one and game two i kind of just equipped true jt onto a true name and i guess i won so actually game one was close he had a sort <laughs> of fire and ice he had a sort of fire and ice and like i didn't really have i didn't draw like a plow yet and so i couldn't really interact with it well but i pondered i shuffled and i blind drew a council's judgment so that's how you win the well I, we would have had a sword <laughs> game but also so there would have been other ways to interact but i basically couldn't interact with the sword and it's getting kind of like squeezed he had like two stone forges but then like so i i exile the sword and then i can just play the true name the true name can block once the sword is gone it can block everything then i could just like equip stuff and then like game one he scooped and then game two was kind of cool too like he played like a jailer and like a revoker and a mom and all this, but I just put like true name, put a jitte on it, like remove your revoker was like Ursa. I think it forced the revoker. Yeah, forced the revoker. Like, and then so I, when I, I was very relieved when I won, I was like, okay, it's over finally. I, I can stop uh, having to get absurd luck every round. So, <laughs> so 
after you got got the prize, how did you actually celebrate that night? Did you feel like super exhausted? I, I think I saw a picture of you and Bob at the Niagara Falls. Yeah. Um, first, one of my friends, uh, I forget who exactly. Maybe it was probably Hans Jacob. Said we should go to the falls and take a picture there. We actually hadn't seen the falls yet because you know we were just uh, playing match all day and we're like <laughs> we should see it before we leave. So then yeah, I just went to a restaurant, um, Griffin Gastro Pub, and it was a really nice restaurant. With like Anirag and Jarvis and uh, a bunch of legacy people. There's probably like eight to twelve people there. And then after we just drove home because uh, we we didn't have another night at the hotel. Like I could have added one, but it's just like a one and a half hour drive home. So we just drove home. It was actually funny when we were uh, when we were passing the border. The guy said, "So did you win any prizes?" I showed the trophy and I said, "I won this." And then he said, "Okay, you can go through." <laughs> <laughs> you may pass. You have earned it. <laughs> And you yeah. brought you brought uh, honor to Canada. So yeah, and then um, so yeah, that was basically the the tournament, and um, yeah, so it was pretty good. I was lucky to dodge Edgar in the top eight. He apparently got brainstorm locked against his control, which is a good matchup for him, and uh, then he died to that. So yeah. So how would you generally say, how, like, to give us like a short overview of how you view the legacy meta game right now? Like, like, what would you say? What are like the, the decks to beat? Like, if you wanna win, which decks should people be looking into if, if they wanna like run it back and also become as like a de the Daniel, the guy who wins the Legacy GP at 18 years? <laughs> uh, well, usually when I look at all the decks in the meta game, like I, I kind of look at it like what's doing powerful stuff consistently, and like I see Mono Red Stompy. It's obviously less good against the Blade decks. Um, I like Depths a lot. Um, I've I played the deck better. I think it's like pretty good. Um, I think Miracles is obviously good too, and like I think basically most decks are pretty good. I'm just trying to see exactly going one through one. Like a lot of the decks, I just don't play that much. So like decks like Elves, Stompy, Storm, Sneak and Show, it's like hard for me to death and taxes. Like it's hard for me to evaluate the power level. I just know from playing against it. And also Legacy is a weird format to test in because sometimes like you're favored against like one build of a deck, but people have a different build, so it's really hard to actually test. Like the like you're like okay I think I'm favored then you play against like a completely different build of the same deck it's like elves or show and tell or something or even storm like Tess or ant so it can be hard to to test in regards to that and um like I don't think there's like a obvious best deck at least for me right now like most of the decks felt like similar power level like you can't really just like do something broken I know like dark ritual players probably disagree they're always like dark ritual is just the best card or so maybe that's the best thing I think dredge is like very good like those. Like the graveyard people seem to dominate a lot. Eric Landon and the graveyard Orum. people. <laughs> yeah, Elf Kid, uh, Orum, and Eric Landon. They seem to like win a lot with like Dredge and Black Red. So those seem to be very strong. I like Blue Red Palace a lot. Like, not a lot of people play it, but but the Blue Red Palace deck seems to be like pretty good. Though I don't know. I don't want to give people bad advice. Overall, it feels like it's been a pretty successful weekend for Blue Blue White Stoneblade because in the Legacy MCQ, which like is the new name for a PTQ, uh, it also took the first place and sends twelve-year-olds uh, Milan B Biani. I, th I think you guys remember the guy's name. Yeah, yeah, Milan Biana. He was thirteen, <laughs> and it was funny because like uh, I was talking to Daniel. Like literally, he, he introduced himself, or Milan introduced himself to Daniel because they were like, you know, building their deck before the MCQ, and they're like, oh, I'm also playing Blue White Stoneblade. And then the kid goes on to win the MCQ, and Daniel goes on to win the GP. So they basically blessed each other by like becoming friends and like helping each other build their decks right before the well, MCQ. Yeah, he said, he, after he won the MCQ, he said, oh, if you top eight the GP, we should test for the Pro Tour together. I'm like, well, we'll see about that first. <laughs> and then it actually happened. Make, I was almost going to make a stupid comment. Like In German, it's like, it's like a custom that brings you good luck. Like if somebody is 
is lucky you have to rub them and yeah. then you will get them. For example, like a chimney sweep is supposed to be like a person that brings you good luck but you know like really weird to like tell people to to rub like on a 12 or 13 year old no anyway wow good. really went there julian <laughs> no i didn't <laughs> <laughs> right you said you wouldn't you only discussed it you yeah. talked about it <laughs> but yeah it, it seems like that the deck is pretty well positioned after having been like shunned by the legacy community for a very long time, like I remember during the heydays of Miracles, people were making fun of her and me, including me, and not even fun, like actually saying that Stoneforge is all pretty much unplayable outside of Totten, Texas. But now it's coming back big time. It's coming back so big time that you actually make me want to try the deck. Like it's almost the exact opposite of the kind of magic I enjoy playing. Uh, but like looking at the deck, and I, I've played my fair share of like Stoneforge deck decks, but that was like almost 10 years ago. And maybe, maybe I do want to look into it. I don't know, Bob. Are you going to stay true to your deck, uh, dark depth experience? Uh, I, 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 I'm like you, Julian. I hate playing mid-range decks. I love playing, like, aggro decks, combo decks. Sometimes, if it's really broken, I'll play, a, like, a hard control deck like Miracles. Um, but in general, I like to play, like, to one in the spectrum. That's what I'm good at. I'm not really good at analyzing board states. I'm good at, like, executing the same game plan over and over again. So I'm probably not going to play that deck, but it is good to just like get to get better at magic. You know, it's good to play lots of different decks and try different things. So I would I would say it's it's also worth like you know learning the enemy as it as it were. Yeah, I, I was basically thinking because like was the London mob rule. Everybody's playing all these chalice decks, so I basically was just playing it because you have all this inbuilt protection versus the chalice. Decks, so, um, and then you just try your best versus the other decks. When I find I play other fair blue decks, I have a lot more difficulty versus chalice. So that's basically why I was playing this. Um, but you know, th yeah, that was sort of uh, my thinking in regards to how it's how it's placed in the meta. It's more like I don't want to lose to Chalice, and I don't feel very good against Chalice with the other blue deck. So that's sort of why I would play this mm -hmm. deck and where I see it. And you would probably continue playing it for now. Um, yeah, yeah, I would probably. I'd have to see I, after this weekend, though. I don't I probably wouldn't want to play it for a few weeks. I feel like uh, it's impossible to win games after this. I saw game. you streaming and you were playing against like Grixis Control and they had like Knights Whisper. I won that match though, but I lost to Eldrazi Post, so I, I was three one when I stopped. But yeah, yeah. But it was actually funny. The first match I streamed, I almost cast Ponder into Chalice. Twitch chat stopped me. Like I was not. I was like like the first match after the GP because I was just really tired. Um, the next day. Yeah. So where can people actually find your streaming? Um, my Twitch. It's like Twitch.tv and then it's slash D. And then it's my last name, Gutchel, which is spelled G-O-E-T-S-C-H-E-L. You can also find me on Twitter. My name's like Goldupot, or it's Daniel Gutchel. It's the same way it would be spelled um, when they post a deck list. And then I post the link there too, yeah. Awesome. So, Daniel, um, thanks a lot for coming on today, telling us all about your deck, your like journey thus far as a Magic player. And from everything I've heard today, and like your dedication to not only like Legacy, but Magic in general, I can really only say, like, first place at the Mythic Championship is 50,000 euros or dollars and might have your name on it. If not this time, then maybe next. Like, from everything yeah. I've heard today, I think we, we are here to hear a lot more from you in the future. Yeah, I've been trying to, like, get Daniel to team with me for, like, an SCG Open for a while because I just feel like he's, like, this secret player that nobody knows about that's, like, super amazing at Magic and nobody knows. But the secret's finally out of the bag, so congrats, man. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Are you eventually gonna team with Bob? That's um, a big, big version. <laughs> usually, just because I don't travel very much, like this was just like one out two hour drive. Um, I usually just play the Magic Online events, and like as I say value, I'm like usually I'm just so used to well, I don't really want to travel. 
because I, I would do that when I have like a real job more and I you know, just Bob play can... the moto offense. I was gonna say Bob is actually gonna pick you up and drive you there, but then I realized that like everybody keeps talking about how Bob is trying to score rides and I don't know. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'll, I'll, well, I mean, I'll that's see. what people say, Bob. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll see. I might do some SCGs, but it's mostly like I, I already... I, usually my goal was to qualify for the Pro Tour, sort of. So I just wanted to play the PTQs anyway, more than like Star City Opens and that kind of stuff. I just wanted to. Um, and yeah, it's just a lot easier. Like also when you scrub out, like I play a lot, so I lose a lot. So I know that when I play most events, I'm probably not going to do well. So I, it's kind of like a lot of dedication to travel to an event. Like if I go to an event, I'm going to expect to not do well. But then if it's just like a small event, I'd rather just play, um, you know, a moto thing. So I can easily O2 scrub out, play another thing or whatever. But yeah. Okay, so from our side, we're wishing you the best of luck in Barcelona. It's always cool to see the, the person or the people who qualified through the Legacy GP and how they're going to do at the Pro Tour. Traditionally, like a lot of pro players have told me, the people who come in through a Legacy GP are not exactly the most successful ones on the Pro Tour yet. But I think you could definitely make a difference with regards to that. I and think Javier got onto the Pro Tour that way too. So at who? least Javier Dominguez. Or oh, he did? I, believe... I know that he, he's like really big into legacy and, and like he's actually the creator of Cephalid Breakfast if that like yeah. is about it. Like, I, yeah. I, th I think he got his I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think he got he got started into competitive magic with the GP Paris win, but I'm not sure exactly, but it maybe did too. Cool. So. Yeah. so um Thanks a lot for coming on today. If you guys want to support the show, we now, like we already were talking about it at the last episode, uh, we now have a Patreon. So if you want to support the running of the show and maybe also earn some awesome perks that we have, check out patreon.com slash everydayeternal. Thus far, we have three Patreons who are supporting us. If we can get to 20, like if you guys want to help out, even if it's just a dollar a month, if we can get to 20 in the first month, we actually get like, uh, well, it's not a super significant bonus from Patreon, but they they offered it. So <laughs> if you want to support the running of the show that way and make sure that like everything is paid for and eventually also we can like maybe afford, like I'm actually looking into better microphones for, for the cast. That would be like super sweet. Um, or even buy like buy rights for Bob so he doesn't have to like you know, <laughs> be like, hey, can can I go there? Uh, you can check that out. Patreon.com slash everyday eternal. We are still working on getting back the Twitter account because like we actually have a pretty big Twitter account, but nobody has the password. And <laughs> we were in negotiations with Twitter to get that back. Otherwise, like you probably found this through its today.com where the, the podcast is hosted. Uh, for me, it's uh, 1.16 in the morning and I have to work tomorrow. So I think we're going to call it a day now, Bob. Do you want to add anything? Uh, also, by the way, big shout outs to Anorak for live tweeting the top eight. Like it was really, really amazing to hear that. So give him a follow. He's like at ANSI104 on Twitter. He's also streaming a lot and I really, really enjoyed his coverage. So good job, Anorak. Yeah, that's that. awesome to hear. He's going to try to do more of that stuff in the future. I was talking to him today and he was like, I don't have any buys, so maybe I'll just do coverage from now on. Um, but yeah, I, I don't... I don't I don't really have any um, thing to add. Again, congrats, Daniel. You had an amazing weekend. It was amazing being there, and like I really enjoyed uh, seeing you succeed. So, yeah, super happy about it all. Thank you. Awesome. So that's it for tonight, and see you again on the next podcast in something like two weeks. Bye bye.